Patrick, so good to see you on the show. Uh, for the audience, a little bit of facts about you. Are you or are you not the director of Angus? I am. Did you come up with a story for Dragonheart? I did. Did you, did you direct Space Invaders? Yes. <laughs> are you the first person in the world who didn't work on it to ever see Star Wars? everybody welcome back to the rockman power hour a show where we talk to the coolest people in pop culture and uh this week on the show we are talking to a gentleman who uh pretty much did something that no one has ever done he was the first person to see star wars he was one of the first people that didn't work on it if not the first person that didn't work on it to see the movie his name is patrick reed johnson he's a director in his own right and he is on the show with us today i'm so so excited about this he directed a movie called 52577 and um well it's pretty much his life story and we're going to get a chance to break that down with him today on the show but before we get too far let me bring in my co-host and my friend ryan stick ryan um how are you, bud? And how excited are you to finally be able to bring this conversation to everyone? I'm really excited. In fact, uh, Patrick and I go a little ba- ways back, yeah. and uh, we discussed that in an interview about how I met him and everything. We'll, we'll let uh, everybody sit in anticipation <laughs> on that front. But uh, I got to say, it's um, it's in a wonderful movie, 52577. It's out on Blu-ray. The film is been in production hell for, God, what, 15 years or something? It's... Uh, it's something to behold. It's something that every uh, geek who has a dream should see. And uh, I'm really honored that it's part of the Rockman Power Hour. Uh, yeah, and, and it's thanks to you to be, to be able to get Patrick. Uh, I appreciate you, you you tracking him down and having him on the show. He couldn't have been a nicer guy. I mean, the minute that interview finished, I just wanted to spend more time with him. And, and I think people are going to get his vibe and, and his story. is just incredible. It's an incredible, incredible story. Um, before we go too far, I want to encourage you to like and subscribe the po- uh, to the podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations, please let us know uh, that you do enjoy it by subscribing. Just hit that subscribe button if you're on YouTube or if whatever streaming platform you're listening to us on. And uh, and like and share. We always, always appreciate it. And let us know who you'd like us to talk to in the comments. Uh, we'll do our best to try to have them on. Also like to thank our uh, sponsors, title sponsors, Heartbeat Hot Sauce. They're an incredible hot sauce company out of Thunder Bay, Ontario. Um, we love these guys. I know you're out of hot sauce, right? I'm completely out. I'm tapped out. Yeah. I was, uh, you know, like a cartoon trying to find water in a desert. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying trying my best. And that looks funny on camera. Anyway, um, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but I, I have no more hot sauce. I really need some hot sauce. Who do I got to jerk off around here to get some hot sauce? <laughs> All right. So you, Ryan's out of hot sauce, but you do stretch it as much as you can. You talked. I, I really felt bad as you <laughs> stretch it. You, <laughs> I'll stop. Okay. Anyways, Heartbeat Hot Sauce, great hot sauce company out of Thunder Bay, Ontario. If you use our promo code right below Rockman20, 
that will get you 20% off your entire order. Feel free to use it, Ryan. And um, I am holding the Blueberry Habanero. Uh, I've talked about this one many, many times on the show. It is one of my absolute favorites. And I think uh, you should definitely try Heartbeat. Again, so many different varieties to choose from. They've got great gear. They're doing some great stuff all over the place uh, in the world of motorsports. They're doing stuff in the world of MMA. I think they are the be- have become the official hot sauce of the UFC. So I am so, so glad that we are quote unquote, in bed with Heartbeat Hot Sauce. They literally are the heartbeat of the Rockman Power Hour. So thank you to Heartbeat, all the folks over in Thunder Bay. Uh, definitely check them out. Also, we would like to thank Studio House Designs, uh, always making us look great. Ryan is rocking the Alien shirt. I love that one. I love Ripley and I love uh, Cody's Designs. Great company out of Philadelphia. Uh, I've got this one, which you've worn before, which is the Biodome. And just their shirts are so comfy. And, um, it, you know, we live in a, in a world today where we can go to work every day and wear a t-shirt, at least you and I can, and it's a great, great feeling. So might as well wear a shirt that rocks and looks good. So thanks to Studio House Designs. Check them out at studiohousedesigns.com. And of course, AKG for, uh, gracing us with these incredible microphones and headphones. Um, they have brought our production of value up tremendously. So we uh, appreciate them as well. I, I've, I've always noticed though, like. I usually sounded like shit before we got these mics <laughs> and uh, it was always kind of like, you know, you, you're, you're a professional broadcaster. You always sound good, but uh, you know, and then I would talk and that's unfortunate, oh, but stop. now, but now I'm, you know, I welcome the sound of the milky buttery tone of my voice through this insanely fancy microphone. Have you, so, yeah. uh, have you dropped it yet or uh, no, but that's because I, I, you know, I feel like a helicopter parent around it. Like I just won't let it out of my sight. Uh, so thanks to AKG. And um, so we have uh, a very interesting gentleman on the show. I don't want to take up too much time before we chat with him because it's a pretty lengthy one, but it's mm. interesting. Uh, if you're a fan of science fiction, if you're a fan of Star Wars, if you're a fan of uh, people that, you know, manifest dreams uh, and make things happen, you'll love this story because Patrick Reed Johnson is exactly that. He's seen one of the most influential films of all time um, in its infancy. You know, everyone talks about the work print of Star Wars. That guy saw the work print in a screening room in Hollywood. So um, it's pretty impressive what Patrick's done. Uh, And, uh, you know, we touch on so many things in this. We also touch on uh, that cult favorite of his, Angus, and and so many things. So without any further ado, let's welcome to the Rockman Power Hour, Patrick Reed Johnson. You good, Ryan? Yep. Yeah, I'm good. Just making uh, sure I'm not peeking. No, you're not peeking unless you t- took something. Oh, out I of peeked fucking- a long time ago. So. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I'm cresting right now. <laughs> All right, uh, really, really happy to be uh, to be uh, joined by this gentleman on uh, the Rockman Power Hour. Uh, his name is Patrick Reed Johnson. If you know him, um, you might know him from a lot of movies that he's made. Uh, but I think we're talking about probably the one that is the nearest and dearest to his heart. And uh, and I'm just assuming that, but I, I would imagine it's it, it probably is. Uh, this movie is called 52577. Um, I thoroughly enjoy this being a lifelong Star Wars fan. And uh, I don't want to really tell too much about the movie because I blind watched it with my kids, them not knowing what it was about. I just put it on. I said, watch this movie. So Unfortunately, I think we're going to have to kind of break down that wall when we talk about this, but I just wanted to welcome uh, to the Rockman Power Hour, Patrick Reed Johnson. Thank you so much for accepting, man. 
Oh, I, I'm delighted. I can't wait uh, to dig in. Uh, I, uh, so, so Ryan, um, Ryan's known about this for a while because Ryan, I think saw one of the first, uh, the first versions of this film quite a while ago. This thing has been a labor of love for how long now? Well, I mean, we started production in 2004 and wow. I think, I think Ryan saw it in 2012. Right. Something I, like that. Yeah. yeah. You had already been working on it long enough where there was a documentary in, pro- <laughs> in production about the making of how hard it was up to that point. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, so take on another uh, 12 years. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, yeah, we had started, we, I started writing it in 1999 and finally got financing in 2003 ish and then started shooting in 2004 and got, 75% of the movie done. We got everything done except the Hollywood sequence. Okay. So we had sort of like all of the Wadsworth stuff in super 16, 185, uh, And then the world's longest scene missing slug for 30 minutes. Pat goes to Hollywood, you know, and, oh, really? which we, we, you know, we toted this cut that we put together around for two years until we found someone who said, we'll pay for Hollywood. And then we got that done. And then it was like, ah, we got this. And then who's going to pay for the music? Because we've got lots and lots well, of 70s superstar music. Yeah. First off, you know, getting a movie made is, yeah. is, is, it's a labor of love. And I find the people that, you know, I, I was in the music business for a long time. I was, I, you know, I did the, went off, tried to make it, did pretty good. But even that was tough. Um, yeah. movie making is beyond that. It's just insanity. And, yeah. uh, just the music in this movie, how did you get the rights to, to, to use half of this? Well, I mean, I was, I was very fortunate in a number of ways. One, uh, one of my best friends in the whole world, Alan Parsons, um, uh, of the Alan Parsons project, who I've known since like 1985 or 86, uh, you know, we were using a, I robot his, second album came out uh on 52577 okay and so originally the idea was to score the entire film with only the songs of that album but wow. it just okay. it didn't quite have enough breadth to to cover all the emotions but but we we do have a number of the best songs from that album in there um but but Alan and I have known each other for a long time and he's been a big supporter of the film and in fact when uh, when we lost one of our uh, ELO songs uh uh, we had a thing called, you know, Waterfall that was supposed to be where the song I Can't Get There From Here is now. And uh, I didn't know what to do. And I, I we, we we tried everything we could find and we couldn't figure anything out. And I and I thought, oh, my God, I got to replace this with something. So I, I, I put together this little garage band demo of a song I had written about Alan Parsons and Eric Wolfson and their breakup called I Can't Get There From Here, which was not a love story. It was about bro- brothers in arms, you know, making music. And, and I thought, you know, if I if I strip the Alan Parsons Project drama out of this, it really is a love song. Right. Let me try that. And so, you know, David Russo and I, uh, you know, worked on it. And David made a beautiful demo and and brought in, you know, Jared Mahone, the, the amazing singer who's on the final as well who is a session musician who also is a, a troubadour and goes around the country singing. And anyway, we, we sent this demo to Alan and Alan liked it so much. He said, can I, can I reproduce this? Let's, let me put it through my system, my, my gang. And 
we'll we'll fix it up a little bit and then can i have it for, as the last song on my new album and i was like oh well, wow you'll see call my age you know? <laughs> <laughs> and of course i was blown away and um and so alan knew many of the people involved he you know brian may from queen and he knows ringo and he you know he knows uh, the guys from 10 cc and so he was able to reach out and just say look at the movie they can only pay x and x was a tenth of what it should have cost sure and i mean we've got about two million dollars worth of well, music yeah like i you know there's a movie uh, being from Montreal, you know, there's, there's some great filmmakers from here, as you know, like Denis Villeneuve. Um, and, uh, and of course there, I, I don't know if you know, there's a movie called crazy that was done. Um, and the music in crazy is, I mean, they have so many great songs, just the oh. music budget for that movie was ridiculous so much so that it delayed it ever coming out on Blu-ray again, because well, there, there's your answer. Thank what you. happened from the time we finished shooting all the stuff we needed to the mm-hmm. time we got it out in theaters everywhere and and everywhere else was that we had all these distributors who said, "What a great movie! We'd love to put this out. This is great. What do you need? Uh, you know, and well, we need two hundred thousand dollars to pay for. I mean, that which is nothing yeah. for the soundtrack we have. No, we needed no. two hundred thousand. Yeah. And they were like, well, we, no, 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 no. You get that paid for and we'll release it. And so we're running around hat in hand, looking for somebody to pay $200,000 for music on a movie that's now at this point, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old. And people are like, nah, we're not going to, nope, nope. And finally, Eric Wilkinson at MVD, who had been tracking this movie since seeing it at Star Wars Celebration 4 in wow. 2000. Eight, I think it was in Los Angeles and had every year, once a year, he'd called me up saying, Hey, we'd really like to, you know, release your movie. And I'd be like, do you have $200,000 for the music? And he'd be like, we don't. And then, and that happened once a year, at least for the next 10 years until finally one day he calls me up and I'm like, Oh, Hey, Eric, how's it going? Do you have 200? And he goes, I do. Wow. I that must've been a nice day. Yeah, he said, I convinced the owner of the company that this movie is worth that expenditure. And this is a company who's, I mean, they do really great stuff. They're kind oh, of like, I'm lower, very I mean, I love familiar MVD. with MVD. They do, I mean, some of their retro releases are, you know, they just put out Men at Work. They just put out The right. Last American Virgin. Like being someone but who- They don't who, spend money on that. They do it like with razor's edge, yeah. you know, slicing of the garlic. But they <laughs> do a great job, but they do a great right. job. Because they're smart and they know how to market and they know what their audience is. But with this, you know, Eric convinced the owner of the company to to literally spend a thousand percent more than they've ever spent on any movie because he said it's going to be worth it. It This movie will work. And, yeah. and they did. And they didn't hesitate. And they didn't. They were never late. They didn't hem and haw over anything. And they gave me complete creative control to finish the film the way I wanted. They gave me enough money and enough time and enough patience with all the things that can possibly go wrong. Because the minute you think you've got it all under control, of course, it all goes. You yeah. Know. yeah. Um, and they, they're they amazing. They I, I If I could just make movies for them for the rest of my life, I'd do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding. I yeah. would anything, any any movie. You know, uh, of any budget, you know, they just know what they're doing and they're cool yeah. and they're honest, you yeah. know, so I, I love these guys. 
Awesome. You know what I love about this movie, Patrick, and it's um, it you know I I fell in love with like you as a person before I even saw the movie. Because well, we, we met, <laughs> we met. You did two screenings at the Fantasia Film Festival, yes. and the Q and A is included as a special feature on this Blu-ray. Right. right. Um. So my best friends Marco and Dana, they saw it and they're like, dude, you're really gonna like this movie, but I think you're gonna really like this director too. So we end up talking for like 20 minutes or something yeah. at the Irish Embassy. May it rest in peace. It has burned down since. And um, I, you know, I kind of went to the bathroom and I IMDB'd you and I almost dropped my phone in the toilet or the urinal when I realized you were the writer and director of Angus. Well, you're the director of Angus. And I uh, and I was obsessed with that movie as a kid to the extent where I, I spent $18 and as a teenager that might as well be 300 bucks, <laughs> especially in the 90s. Um, on a CD just to have that Green Day song that was exclusively on that CD. Like I lived and breathed Angus. And since then, you and I have done um and Charlie, we've we've uh, had a little reunion and did a retrospect. But oh, yeah. I love about this film is that since I've seen this movie, Charlie came and helped you out. Can you tell me about Charlie uh Talbert's role <laughs> in in helping you uh on 52577? Charlie and I are inextricably connected forever since our first meeting at a Wendy's in Lake Forest, Illinois, on a, a balmy night and you know, the whatever it was, summer of 1993 or something. Um, you know, Charlie is real people, and he's a great he's a terrific actor. But the reason yeah. he's terrific, that he's a terrific actor is that he's a terrific human being. He, you know, after Angus sort of changed his life. He then went through a bit of a trajectory of like, well, I'm a star of a movie and now I'm working at the big and tall men's store. <laughs> now I'm going to work with my friend Chris Owen on this little thing. and I'm going to do that. But he never lost his passion for what he wanted to do. And even, you know, when he was at his, you know, not rock bottom, but, you know, I, I needed to do a teaser trailer for this movie. And I needed people to play various roles and, 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 and he and Chris Owen and Ariana Richards and, you know, uh, Carrie Fisher and, and uh, Joe Pantoliano and all these people showed up for my little teaser trailer. Like my, Joe Pantoliano plays my dad. Right. And, and it's like in the movie, in the teaser trailer, right. For 525, all these people just showed up because they liked the script and did right. this little teaser trailer that got us our financing. So um, I wanted to ask you really quickly because uh we 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 were talking about MVD, and uh, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm and Ryan knows this. I'm a big big advocate for physical media. Physical media to me is very very important. I agree, and um and that's one of the reasons why I love MVD. But I also love Arrow Video, and yeah. uh, Arrow just put out this, which I'm sure you've seen, and if you haven't, you have to. Um, oh yeah, uh, in fact, you got it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I don't have that one. Is that the steel case? That's the steel, the steel books inside there. Yeah. Which one do you have? Oh yeah. I have this one, which yeah. is not. Okay. So, yeah. but this <laughs> is, so. so, so this is the thing. The reason why I'm showing this is because Douglas Trumbull was very, very important to you and an important character in your film. Um, and when he does finally, you know, I don't want to spoiler alert, but when he does finally kind of briefly rush by you. <laughs> I mean, because that's what happens. Um, it's a huge moment. And it's like this buildup because, you know, you're spending time with arguably the greatest filmmaker of our generation and many generations to come. And you wander down the hall to find this dude. I didn't at, at the time, I didn't know, nor particularly care what a director did. Right. 
I cared what people like Doug Trumbull and Greg Jean and John yeah. Dykstra did. I it doesn't mean I don't care now. I absolutely care, and I sure of course. Uh, but I at the time, I guess there was a part of me that never really thought, well, you're going to direct movies. I kind of somehow thought I was just going to create lots of cool spaceships and somehow maybe that would lead to directing movies or something. You know what I mean? I didn't, I almost thought I would maybe become a Doug or a John Dykstra someday or a Greg Jean. And, and somehow I would parlay that into directing films, or I would just take the skill set that I gleaned in Hollywood back to my little hometown and be the biggest fish in the pond and make sure. my movies with all those skills, you know, I, and I was intimidated. I was incredibly intimidated by Steven, even though he looked like he was 12, you know, um, he, for context, ladies and gentlemen, for those who are just joining, uh, Patrick had an, this amazing experience when, you know, you're like, Hey, just go to Los Angeles. Something amazing might happen. And for everyone who got off a Greyhound bus and immediately found someone bad, you got off a plane and found someone good. And uh, you have this amazing, incredible Hollywood story that we, uh, you know, you may, may have met a Steven, but everybody out there, like Jason said, I strongly believe you should cold watch this DVD and just kind of let this un adventure unfold in front of you because the levels of it are insane. Yeah. yeah. Like in hindsight, do, like, do you realize how big of an impact that this they had on the day? Because I never realized how big of a deal something is until afterwards. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't have. I mean. <clears throat> the events that happened, and by the way, it says at the beginning of the movie, most of this is true. The rest is even truer. Um, and the funny thing is, is the weirder or more improbable the event in the film, the truer it is. It's the connective tissue I had to massage to take like three years worth of events and collapse them into one. I was really only 15 and my friend bill was 17 he was a senior i was a freshman there there's lots of little connective tissue stuff sure. that isn't true but the moments especially well from from the time i get to hollywood the, to the time i leave it's verbatim exactly what happened right i did that not only for a feeling of truth and 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 honoring what really happened, but also as kind of legal protection against, you know, if if Stephen got sucked up by a UFO tomorrow and his lawyers said, hey, wait a minute, we don't you know what did that? You know, I can actually prove that that happened. So, sure. Uh, sure. Um, you know, there's something about, you know, people are like, well, well, for, first of all, nobody was waiting for the Patrick Reed Johnson story. Right. It wasn't like, I was. oh, my God, finally, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a movie about him becoming a filmmaker. Nobody cares. The only reason I kept it me was so that it would have truth. Sure. So that it wasn't this fictional, happy story about some kid who makes good and gets to Hollywood. And, you know, it, it, it which is why on the poster, you know, I've got all the credits, millions of them, including like 75 executive producers. And then mm. all of a sudden it gets down to written and directed, but, and then it's ripped like somebody has accidentally ripped off the corner of the poster. Right. Oh, nice. Okay. And the reason for that is because I'm not a household name. Nobody sure. knows me mostly, you know, yeah. um, and, and, and people who don't care and don't get into that stuff that much, then go to this movie and they see, they see this movie where this woman's running around going, Patrick Ray Johnson, or the whole movie <laughs> over and over and over. And then as he drives off into what he drives off into, the first credit when you cut to black is direct written, directed by Patrick Reed Johnson. And right. there is an audible gasp in the theater. 
people just go, whoa, wait, what? You know? Oh, yeah. cool, man. Oh, it's so, I mean, I, it's the group, the yeah. goosebumps is going off. It, the thing with this whole thing, and again, we're Ryan and I are trying so hard not to give anything away, but at one point we kind of have to talk a little bit about it. But I, like I mentioned, when we started, I, I got to sit down with my kids and watch this movie with them, them not knowing anything. And I said, guys, just watch this. And at first they're like, well, what is this? And they're like, okay, it's kind of like, it uh, reminds us of like some of the other shit that you've made us watch. Like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm 50, 52. So, you know, I know you're a little bit older than me, but I'm pretty sure we were influenced by a lot of the same films. You know, I was a really young film goer. Uh, so, you know, they're looking at some of this and it has a bit of a fast times vibe. It's got a bit of a, of this days and confusing. It's, it's got a little bit of that John Hughesy thing. Like it's got all that, that yep. we love. So right. they kind of came along for the ride, but when they figured it out, they were like, holy shit. And then the appreciation was there. And, and that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted them to go, Oh wow! Now we I understand why you wanted this, and I'm like, yeah, that story. I mean, being the first person to see that movie is well, that didn't work on it. Yeah, it didn't like work fresh, on it, right? Like fresh like pair the, of eyes. Yeah, like, the first civilian to see it. And the funny thing is, is that one of the things that was one of the most recent shots that was added to the film um, was when they when he says, "This is our screening room." Right? Yeah. When Dykstra says that, and you cut to the two of them going. You know, and watching, and the first shot you see is a blue screen. Yeah, just a blue screen with a light stand and this model going. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that wasn't there in any of the other cuts. Ryan had never seen that. Nobody had ever seen that. And I did it within the last like week or two of post production because I thought that was what happened. There was no crawl. It, yeah. it it didn't say Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. You know, it was just Star Wars, and it just had a thing. Star Wars, you know, just a bad sure. know, temp yeah. title. There was and no crawl, no, you know, tilt down to the planet, and then it was just a blue screen, and then and we're like, okay, and then all of a sudden, this thing goes over, and and it keeps going with no sound, yeah, no yeah. Ben Burt sounds, no John Williams, just. But it was amazing. Oh, yeah. You yeah, could tell. So- you just went, something's happening. Yeah, but that's so amazing that you, the model fan, are seeing <laughs> that's, this. Where that's the coolest thing about it is that anybody else would be like, fuck, the, the effects aren't finished. It's just a stupid model. And you're like, oh, a model. Right. And it's right. moving. <laughs> it's kind of like. You, you're you're with a really really hot girl and she's got <laughs> jogging pants on no makeup her hair up in a bun and you're like in love with her like that and then you take yeah. her on a date and she's dressed up and you're like you know what i mean if you love oh, her like imagine, that imagine seeing that yeah. going back pitching an entire town that this is going to blow them away it's going to be the most amazing thing they ever seen and then you see and, the final and, cut and then you are in the theater and you see what that became sure Sure. And you just burst into tears. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's the thing that that that's the the crazy thing is that you go with the excitement of being the first person to see this thing that nobody's seen to holy shit, I'm gonna see this again when it's done. And I <laughs> and I've got friends that work um, you know, that works for some of the major studios that get to see stuff early. And right. they always tell me, like, I saw like they I, I had a buddy that of mine that worked for Warner 
And Blade Runner is like my favorite movie of all time. So when they were doing 2049, I was on his ass all the time. I'm like, have you seen anything? Have you seen anything? He's like, and then he finally told me, he goes, I saw a word print. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, he goes, I saw it with finished, unfinished effects. He goes, you're going to be blown away. Because a lot. So for you, you know, now this is kind of common language, right? Mm-hmm. But back then, how many people were saying that they saw work prints? They say, I mean, you saw none of it was common, and there was right. no such. You know, I mean, Starlog magazine was just barely in existence. There was no Premier magazine. There was no Entertainment Tonight. There was no. You didn't get a look behind the scenes. The only thing you ever got in those days was something like the 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 making of that they did for Silent Running, which was shown in theaters. It was a sixteen millimeter BTS film. Uh, that was really cool. You can see it on the on the on the Blu-ray release. Um, but it was it was like you know uh, coming attractions from the future, you know. And it was <laughs> you know, and it was like there was no immediacy, there was no ability for the audience to influence or detract or terrify the studios, which there is now. Yeah, I mean, just the reaction to the first trailer can destroy a film. And it's released, yeah. yeah. you know, and which is which I, I actually think is horrifying. Um, um, I don't I, I think that I, I don't disagree that there should be an industry of fan guided and even fan produced films. Um, uh, you know, there's whole businesses starting up, you know, Filmio, the people that put in, you know, a lot of money to finish this film have this business for fan guided production. And I have no problem with that, but the idea that it should all be that way is crazy to me. And your guy from up there wouldn't do that. No. And he need to. And I was, I tell you something was amazing. Uh, our film showed at the Hamptons international film festival in 2009, I think it was, or eight, I think it was 2009. And we were up against, not up against, but we were in the same, because his was a short and ours was a feature, but, but his was the, the bell of the ball. He, he did next floor, okay. which is to me, one of the greatest short films ever made. And, and I was just so blown away. In fact, I used it in my film classes at UNCSA every year when I was teaching, it would be the first film I would show. Wow. Just, you think film, you think short films aren't cool or they're not good enough for you. Watch this. You know, because I just I thought it literally was one of the best shorts I've ever seen in my life. Um, And the fact that he did it, I don't know what prompted him as just I don't know if it was a stylistic exercise or just something he had to get off his chest or whatever. But the, the beauty, I mean, it only has like four words in it. You know, it's international by the fact that, it, you know, next school, next school, <laughs> that's all it is. You know, and actually one of my uh, co-teachers at uh, UNCSA looks so much like the sort of devil dude, the maitre d, so much like him that I had, con- I convinced a couple of classes that, that he was in, that he was in. And, and in the <laughs> summer, he would go to France and make these films, but he didn't want anyone to know. And they actually bought it and like totally. And I said, he'll never admit it, no matter what you say to him. And they like <laughs> just tortured him. But come on, tell us about making this film with the needs of me and you. You know, it was like. It worked. <laughs> you know, you saw the unfinished uh, cut, but also at the same time, you know, famously, the character of Biggs had such a larger role originally in the script. And even even the radio play uh, was all the big scenes where like Luke was kind of like the teenage dork on Tatooine in the version that you no, saw. They were gone by the time I got there. They, Interesting. Okay. We were it was late March and they had already 
basically they were they they had shot out most of everything they they were, I mean, you, you saw the Millennium Falcon in a crate because they were literally packing it up to ship, I guess, to the Smithsonian for some reason. And I don't know why, because the movie hadn't done anything yet. But for some reason, there was this sense that it needed to go to the Smithsonian, which I don't know if there was an exhibit they were planning as a promotional thing or something, but it was all in raffia in, in, a, in a crate. So, no, uh, they had already cut. Um, bigs out of it, but I will tell you that I'm I'm working on something that <clears throat> it's called Utini, the story of littles and bigs. Okay, ah, that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, all right, okay. we won't we won't. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah, we won't tell anyone. No, yeah, no, no we won't tell anyone at all. Hopefully, Ryan, this won't get out. Ryan, just yeah. make sure you write that down for clip. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you. Um, Patrick, it's funny because one of the movies that I, I, I absolutely love around star Wars, um, is fanboys. Yeah. Um, and it has a similar kind of story in the sense that, you know, someone's, well, it's not a similar story, but it's, it's basically around the, the same premise of someone seeing it before everyone. Right. Um, have you seen fanboys? I have. In fact, uh, it's, it's writer, uh, is, uh, is, and of course, I'm a big fan of his. And I was a big fan of his original script for that film. Um, I like the final film, but I but I fell in love with that original script. But Ernie, yeah, uh, Ernie is a, maybe one of our biggest fans too. He has he's done a poster quote for us. He did a he he traveled to a couple different cities to see different cuts of it over the years. He he's just a he's been a huge supporter. Of I, I figured you guys would be friends. I I, I, I had I mean you know and. <laughs> And I'm a huge fan. I mean, his that script when I read it before it was turned into the film that it is by Kyle Newman, who's also just terrific. And you know, they had to weather a lot of nightmare interference, as you know. And and I I as much as I like the final film, and I do very very much, I I still know that both of them went through hell, and you know, at the hands of Harvey Scissorhands uh, and others who yeah. who didn't understand the beauty and the honesty and the, the the emotional throughput of what the original script was. Right. And I, and I say that not to diminish the film at all, because what they, what, what they were able to finally come up with works great. It's oh yeah. Lot- I mean, it's, it's a, but I can tell that there's probably another, there's more in there that didn't get out. I think they went, they, they, they wanted to, I know they wrote it and I know that Kyle directed it. And I think that they, they, put everything they had into a version of it that I'd love to see someday. Right. Um, only because I believe that the two of them together working without Harvey Scissorhands um, could, could do a version of it that has all the fun, but twice the pathos, you know, it's just, it's because it's such a good idea and it's yeah. such, a, and it's, and it was so well realized and Kyle's a terrific director and he's got all these great performances and I, and I'm betting there are all kinds of moments that never made it into the film that it'd be nice know. to see a reworked version of it. But I mean, you know, as you know, once you're in this business and you're, I mean, you're lucky that you were lucky enough to get your thing made. I think yeah. at one point, once it's out there and it, you know, you give birth to it and it's, and the world has it, um, yeah. you probably want to move on and do other things. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. let, let me ask you, what are, what are you currently working on? I mean, I know you've mentioned a little something, but what, is there anything you can talk about? Yeah, there's a, a little project that I've been working on for 
<laughs> believe it or not, twice as long as 52577 called Star Sailor, which is uh, Gary Kurtz. Not the UK, not the UK uh, power pop band. Not the band. No, it's a TV series. It would have been a feature. It was the first script that universal bought for me at a length of 435 pages feature script. And they said, we know this, you know, you're going to have to break this up into. Yeah. And, and at the time it probably would have been the most expensive sci-fi film ever made, but it thankfully it didn't get made. Uh, and now we're bringing it back to life. Doug Trumbull at one time owned it. Okay. I bought it back from him before he passed. It's sort of a little bit like Captain's Courageous in Space, but not exactly. And it has some AI in it, and it has some uh, I don't know how to quite describe it, but it's it it traverses 600 years of the lives of characters, some of whom live for all of those 600 years wow that's crazy yeah and it's it's beautiful and amazing and i'm really excited and there are all kinds of amazing people coming aboard that we just started working on retooling it to become a limited series and i i will certainly let you know more and dispense some uh teasers and things as as they become available cool I'm looking forward to that. Awesome, man. It'd be nice to to do one that that only takes a year or two to do, <laughs> but but traverses 600 years of experience. Um, there's a you know science fiction is is such a an incredible genre, and you know you know a lot of people talk about the beginnings of it, and obviously behind you you're you're paying tribute to you know there's something behind you that's very important in science fiction. Okay. Uh, but I love the the direction that science fiction has gone in i find that now we're we're in another almost like a uh, a golden age of science fiction with stuff like um like outer range which i thought was phenomenal um raised by wolves yeah. which my wife and i are just Beautiful. into the second season yeah. we, we it, it's just <clears throat> and but but then again you know but a lot of it starts with the stuff you were influenced by mm-hmm. none of it would exist if it wasn't for all of those early, early films, you know? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I mean, Douglas and I had also been toying around with and working quite hard uh, for a while on a sequel to Silent Running. Wow. Which we had hoped would star Laura Dern and Bruce Dern. Oof. And for those who know, yeah, Laura would play that little girl. That little girl's never going to know the simple beauty of a leaf in her hand right oh man oh i'm getting goosebumps as, as autumn lowell the daughter of freeman lowell and bruce as freeman lowell and he's not a ghost wow wow and it's it's still something is my dream project honestly i mean i i and and it, i can't tell you any more than that because it'll okay. give away too many amazing things but if we can pull it off, it'll be. Oh, we've already pried some good shit out of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Patrick, we can't keep you all day. And uh, Jason's got to get to the station. But I, I definitely I definitely got to ask you, because Jason and I were talking about this here today. Star Wars fans, it's gotten to the extent where, like you said, everybody has their two cents of something. But it's almost detrimental to their enjoyment to something because expectations versus art uh, kind of gets in the way of itself. You saw Star Wars before anybody could possibly weigh on it. 
you had this beautiful, beautiful, unbiased opinion of just seeing it for what it was. You you, you fell in love with it before, as Jason beautifully put it, put it before, you fell in love with it before you saw it with its makeup on. That's right. Yeah. How do you feel that Star Wars fans hate more than love Star Wars these days? Like, it's almost like they can't not hate it, you know, well, based like. They can't live with the future because they want to live in the past. But then when you try to repeat the past, they hate that too. They forgot the point. And it's not that look, you know, Gary Kurtz was a dear, dear friend, mentor, collaborator, worked on this film, worked on several other Gary is a producer on star sailor as is Tiffany Kurtz, his daughter who played the littlest of the Jawas. In <laughs> um, and so I got both sides of it. I've talked to Gary many times about what Star Wars was, could be, wasn't, and many times with George. And, But ultimately, George was the arbiter in saying it's supposed to be fun. Yeah. Fun. It's supposed to be Flash Gordon. It's supposed to be. It's not, it's not sci-fi. It's not. No. It's space opera. Right. Sil- it's fun. It's, it's a cereals to ride. It's cereals. It's now. Th- does that mean you can't do serious sci-fi? Of course you can. You can do serious political drama. I mean, Andor is not sci-fi. There's nothing in it that's sci-fi other than the fact that there are spaceships. Andor is political drama, and it's brilliant pr- political drama. It's my favorite after you know after Rogue One. It's my favorite Star Wars ever produced, but. And, and, and whereas the Mandalorian's a Western, you know, it's, it's Shane meets, you know, John Wayne and the Cowboys meets, you know, I mean, th- th- every genre can be built and, 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 and displayed and, and done something with in the Star Wars sandbox. Right. Yeah. But the idea that somehow something that's silly or goofy or, or it has bad dialogue doesn't fit Star Wars, go back and watch Star Wars. Yeah. Okay, let me put it this way. Let's say all of the other Star Wars films that have ever been made came out first. And then someone said, let's do the story of how they blew up the first Death Star. And they released the original Star Wars as is. It would be eviscerated. That's what I always say. Destroy it. That's what I always say. They've they've lost the plot. Yeah. Right. And they think they own it. That's the other thing that drives me insane. Oh, because you buy the action figures and the T-shirts and you you go to the conventions and pay for autographs of the third, you know, guard to the (laughs) emperor, you know, okay. No, you don't own Star Wars. It's okay that you're willing to pay a lot of money to get swag. That's fine. But that doesn't give you ownership of Star Wars. George owns it or did. Now Lucasfilm, Disney own it. They're they're doing what they want with it, and it's their right to do that. Yeah, you don't have to like it. That's cool. That's fine. But it's not your job to tell them what has to be done. Go yeah. make your own film. Go make your own universe. Right? There are plenty of brilliant people working diligently to try to figure out where Star Wars goes. And do they always hit it? Nope. Do they sometimes step on landmines storytelling wise? Yep. Right. Guess what? You do better. And then you come and tell Kathy she doesn't have 
a right to have this job. You do better. I could not agree more. And 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 it's funny because I have a friend of mine who's who's a big fan, and he says Star Wars fans hate Star Wars. And it's like, <laughs> like what's wrong with you? I mean, being somebody who every time I go into any kind of creative situation as a fan or I, I never look at it as anything. I, anything I do as a critic, I look at. I want. I am. I. I sit down in any situation, and I want to be your biggest fan. Yeah, that's the first. My first. Yeah. You did this. Blow you know me, what? Blow me away. I'm fan one, according to J- uh, Gary Kurtz. Right. He said when I told him the story of when I saw Star Wars, he said, "Wait, wait, wait. What day did you?" And and, and he said, "If that's true, you're the first human being that didn't work on it to see it." Yeah. You're fan and one. Does that make me the arbiter of what Star Wars should be? No. Not in a million years. My being there first and putting eyes on it first gives me no more right than somebody. And, and there are plenty of people who've seen the movies a billion times more than I have. And sure. you know, and who know where that if you go to Dagobah and you want to get to Bespin, you have to turn left or right or whatever. I mean, they've got the star charts and they've got the models and the action figures. I'm not that guy. Yeah. What I do know is that it's supposed to be fun. Sure. And it's not ever supposed to be a place where people point at each other and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's the worst. You don't know. You don't know. You know what? None of you know. None of you know, because it's not your universe. You don't own it. You play in it. It would be in, in my opinion, Lucasfilm should simply say this. We're a new genre. Not just a new, like, series we're, or a new uh, IP. We're an actual genre, right? We're, if there are Westerns, now there are Star Warsans. <laughs> right? yeah. Star yeah. Warsans. In other words, and I would say to filmmakers all over the world, send us your script. As long as you finance it, maybe we'll finance it if we really love it. If we don't, if you want to finance it, make it. And go through us at least saying yes and no to certain things, and that doesn't fit in canon, and and we don't want that because you put the porn scene in, you know, whatever. Yeah. In yeah. other words, if you'll give us some ability to contain you, we'll let you make Star Wars films. Anyone in yeah. the world, not just fan films. I mean, Werner Herzog makes his own Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Cameron makes one. I make one. You know, you make. Everybody makes whatever they want. As long as they're willing to go through the gate, yeah, you know, sure. the gate of yeah. this fits our universe. But then we'll give you the resources. We'll give you the 3D models, the assets, the, you know, the background plates. We'll give you everything you want. You can have them. Yeah. Just make a great story. Right. Why not? Why? I mean, there's no reason not to do that as long as, and again, the only way it gets the Lucasfilm label on it is Lucasfilm says, this is good enough. This gets through. Has to has to have some. Yeah. And if it doesn't get the Lucasfilm label, doesn't mean you can't still show it. It may mean you can't still show it for money, or right. maybe you can't still show it at you know beyond certain avenues. There's ways to do this. Yeah. That would open it up as a new genre. Well, and I think what you're saying is this hits it right on the head. Uh, don't mm. just talk. Do. Yeah, right. That well, exactly. And, and that's the whole. You want to sit back in your armchair and tell Kathy Kennedy she doesn't know what she's doing? You better have done some I, stuff. I dare you to sit in the same chair she sits. Yep. In. I and dare and, you. And coming from you, 
And after seeing this movie, it makes sense because you did. And yeah. you were, you know, a lot of times, you know, I have two teenagers and as a parent, my first thing is like, what are they going to be? What's the thing that's going to make them want to get out of bed in the morning? <laughs> what's going to be their passion? And your character, it, it's all it is, is passion. It's blind passion and it's beautiful. And it's, and I think that if anything you can take away from that, it just shows you that if you've got something in you that you want to get out, you, you it will happen, you know? And it's not about dreaming big. It's about taking the next indicated direction and taking that next step and just doing it. And if you trust the process, I mean, the way this all unfolded in this movie is beautiful because obviously, you know, the character of your mom believed in it and and you know and and the character like it's just it's just a beautiful trajectory of how someone can start with an idea and can realize something and then go on to do it and that to me is like more people need to do that in life and and you should either if you look if you can't get what you want out of star wars because you're not going to change kathy's mind or bob Iger's mind or you know then why don't you go do something that will give you the release you're looking for yeah Go make your own Star Wars. I mean, George did. Nobody thought it was going to work. Nobody believed in him. He he didn't have, the, I mean, Universal passed. They had the right <laughs> to make it. And yeah. the head of the studio said, no, this isn't going to work. Yeah. So don't take no for an answer. Do what my friend Ray Bradbury said and jump and build your wings on the way down. I love that. That's a great quote. I mean, and it's real. It's yeah. real. There's no, nobody's stopping you, especially now, technologically, you know, if you have a high-end Mac laptop and a good DSLR and some people who can act and you have any facility for writing and mm-hmm. anybody who knows how to do effects, you can make an incredible feature film for $20,000. Yep. yep. You know, do it. Yep. Show the world. Don't sit back and just shit on everybody else's efforts. Does Kathy Kennedy get it right all the time? Nope. Did any, does JJ get it right? Nope. Does anybody get it right all the time? No. Did, did George, did Gary? No, 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 no. But you know what they did? They did it. They did it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only guy that got it right every time is Alejandro Jodorowsky, but. Well, that's true. (laughs) I would have liked to have seen his version of Dune. I know. But I do like the (laughs) Ebenios. The, the version, which <laughs> he didn't get it. He didn't get it right every time. He just he uh yeah. God, the world needs more people like him. Um <laughs> Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Sure. Um, I would love to chat with you again as more things unfold. And um, and thank you for this. And I really encourage people check out 52577. It's a beautiful story. Um, it's really about dreams coming true, and and just the end result was you got to see a pretty cool movie. <laughs> That's true. That was, uh, it was quite a thing. Uh, and, and there's actually so much, we're going to do a special edition. I think, um, I've been told we're doing one, uh, which has deleted scenes. Um, might even include the scene where, where in point of fact, I ended up in the model shop at on close encounters working the rest of the day on the mothership. Oh, Greg Jean and Ken Swenson and all these guys said, Hey, we need help. We got to, you know, we got to, lens and in certain lens you know uh you know twenty thousand fiber optic you know, little portals in these little windows so here you, you were go like, you're like yes okay sure <laughs> you know so anyway there there's some really fun stuff that didn't make the final cut so we'll see 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let me ask you quickly, where do we get 52577 stuff? Because I see there's t-shirts, there's hats. Is that all? Is that Was that just promo stuff? Will that ever be Are for there? sale? I, mean, well, I didn't I, know I've you seen, were available. No, but uh, that's what I want to know. Will, will, there ever, will there ever be any of that stuff available? I don't know if it's still there, but it might be. Um, I know that MBD had a deal where you could order direct from them and get a T-shirt. Okay. That was basically a reproduction of of the sort of iron-on lettering version of the T-shirt. Not right. the logo, in, but the, the theater, like the yeah. letter yeah. version that he wears in the movie. Um, so that might still be going on. I don't think there's any official swag going on right now, but there will be. Um I mean, I don't even have a hat. I'm just wearing some some company that <laughs> never heard of them. I found it on the side of the road in San Francisco. But <laughs> <laughs> kidding, hi guys. But we'll we'll look out for that. And, and thanks again for taking the time today, man. It was uh, it was an absolute pleasure to chat with you. You too. A lot of fun. Anytime. You know, there's this moment, I was editing the interview before, and there's this moment when he mentions that Alan Parsons, his best friend, and your eyes go wide. Oh, yeah. I mean, And I'm like, and I, and I know Jason would like this, but at the same time, I decided to keep that information myself and wait for your look. Oh, yeah. When he said that, <laughs> and all I kept thinking of was Austin Powers and Dr. Eagle going, the Alan Parsons project. But I mean, yeah. come on, man. Alan Parsons, legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, he was working on the Beatles albums. Like he was working in Abbey Road. I think he was the uh, engineer. Yeah. And um, yeah, for uh, for the last albums. And I'm just like, that's that's nuts. Mm. And then to go out on your own, have your own project. But the fact that, you know, they're buddies and uh, he even added Patrick's song, a song on his new album. Yeah. It's it's absolutely nuts. And it's a really cool. I just love this interview because we really went deep. But, you know, it's funny because we had my buddy, uh, Brian, Brian Rodriguez Mm -hmm. has this podcast. It's wonderful called High School Slumber Party, where they just and I want to get you on that show. Okay, because, you know, you were there and witnessed in high school half these movies that people always cover in retrospect. But anyway, Brian was booked right after us. And when I asked Patrick, I'm like, well, what do you, you know, you're the first fan. What do you think of fandom? How like they, how people have turned on star Wars and it just launched into this, uh, this really impassioned speech. And I wasn't going to stop him, but at the same time during it, I was kind of messaging Brian. I'm like, I opened a scar. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) He's running late. I opened a wound. It's, it's funny how you, you, you meet these people in your life and, you know, you're talking about the the Alan Parsons project and, and and Alan Parsons and him being friends. And and sometimes you just meet people that you click with and they just happen to be, you know, insanely influential and popular. I mean, you know, we, we're, we're buddies yeah. with DMC. That's, yeah. I still find it strange that that guy's number's in my phone, you know? So yeah. that's crazy. And, and also the impact of certain films, how they carry through generations. Um, my daughter, she's in high school, she's in grade 10. And her class film project was to recreate a scene in a film. And I sent it to you the other night because it was so popular. They recreated scene for scene, the breakfast club dance, that little little dance when they dance to that song after they all get high and um, shot for shot. And I lined it up with the movie and I watched it and it was shot for shot. And I just thought it was so clever that they did that. And that a movie that I remember seeing when I was, 
probably 14, 15. Um, I noticed that uh, Priya played Emilio. Yeah, she told me she, but I, I had to take one for the team. She goes, everybody else wanted to be this, so I just played Emilio. All right, well, look, thank you for uh, for helping us get uh, Patrick on the show. He's uh, He was a great guest. And I want to encourage people. Listen, you know, movies nowadays seem to be this thing that we just consume, we forget about. They're streaming, they're, they're maybe on our digital cloud, but we don't own physical copies of them. I am a firm supporter of the physical format, as you know. Go get this movie, 52577, support Patrick Reed Johnson. It's available on MVD Video, or MVD Entertainment. It's really, really good. And if you're a fan of Star Wars and science fiction and um, feel-good stories and people really making their dreams come true, go grab a copy, support it. Um, I love it. There's great special features on here. And uh, our friend King from Fantasia hosts his panel that you were at. Or yeah. I don't know if you were at it or, or you or I was, you I was at one of the one two of the screenings. Yeah. So, so that, that screening was probably the one that my friends Marco and Dana were at, right. who in which told me, you got to see this movie and you got to meet this dude. So go grab this. It's available now on mvdentertainment.com. And uh, I, I, I love this movie. I'm glad it's in my collection. And I really, really like Patrick. So um, I want to encourage people to go check it out. Um, you know, stream it if you can, where we or rent it, but, but buy a physical copy because it's definitely worth having in your collection. Thanks to everyone involved with the podcast. My thanks to you, Ryan, of course. Um, we've got some great stuff coming up. Yeah, we've got some cool stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks and more stuff on the horizon. I uh, also want to thank our producer, Julia Kajerski. Uh, thanks to Heartbeat Hot Sauce for always being there for us and uh, being the heartbeat of the Rockman Power Hour. Check their hot sauce at heartbeathotsauce.com and use our promo code Rockman20. Thank you to Studio House Designs. You can get more information on them. They have drops a couple of times a month, studiohousedesigns.com. Thank you to AKG for the uh, incredible equipment. And thanks to all of you for enjoying this and being being here with us every week. Uh, we encourage you to, to like, subscribe, and to share. And uh, we will see you next week on the Rockman Power Hour.